Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. But first, we begin our coverage tonight with Grace Key live at the scene of the crash. Grace, what happened? Well, you can see behind me here that the Royal Bank has been boarded up. The force of this collision sending the taxi into the building, killing the driver. Yeah. Alcohol and speed are believed to be factors in this horrific collision that killed 28-year-old cab driver Senapal Singh Randhawa. A worker at Yellow Cab says Randhawa was engaged and had just purchased a home in Surrey. I just started my take this cab and right away go to the hospital and saw him on, on his last... <sighs> Sorry, boy. The collision happened at 3.30 Sunday morning at First Avenue in Renfrew Street. Vancouver police say it appears the driver of the car to go may have T-boned the taxi after running a red light. And just before the collision, the driver of the car to go may have evaded officers at a nearby counterattack roadblock. We believe that uh, the driver of that uh, smart car, uh, the car to go, uh, may have had uh, an interaction with police sometime before that uh, collision occurred. The driver of the car to go, a man in his 20s, remains in hospital with serious injuries. Two passengers in the taxi were sent to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Randhawa had been working for Yellow Cab for the past four years. He's an excellent driver, um, never had an issue. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, we're so sad. We've, I've had drivers, uh, owners, everybody's calling me since morning. Uh, we're grieving. The Independent Investigations Office has been notified. They, of course, are the civilian-led police watchdog group. Now, they were called in because it's believed that the driver of the car to go had some type of interaction with police during the counterattack roadblock. Now, exactly what that interaction was is unclear right now. We did contact IIO, and they say at this time they are determining whether or not this case falls under their mandate, so they haven't deployed anybody as of yet. Colleen? All right, Grace. Thank you. Now, this crash comes on the heels of one of the biggest controversies of the year. The NDP government promised ride hailing in time for the holiday season. But with Christmas come and gone and New Year's Eve celebrations just days away, there are heightened concerns about impaired driving with one less option for safe transportation. Julia Foy has that part of the story. Surrey mom Marquita Collius always carries something to remember her daughter Cassandra. Although we are apart, your spirit lives within me forever in my heart. And she gave me that. Cassandra was killed by an impaired driver in 2011. The promising ball player was returning from a practice game when a woman ran a red light and crashed into the side of Cassandra's car, killing her instantly. We live with that pain every single day in the loss of our daughter. We don't want another family to go through what we've had to live with for the past eight years. Hello. Hi. How are you tonight? Good. With the countdown to New Year's Eve approaching, concern is rising about the dangers of drinking and driving. Let's not destroy other people's lives because of our choice or somebody else's choice to drive impaired. 
Let's just do the right thing. Frustration is also growing over the lack of ride hailing, which could give people a safer option. It's cheaper, it's easier, it's faster, and people will make different choices if that service is available. The public was promised it would arrive in BC before the holidays. I'm hopeful by Christmas we'll be there. And I'm very confident we're going to get ride hailing by Christmas. But as 2020 looms, ride hailing is only allowed in Whistler and Tofino. Everyone else is still left on the curb. Why are we the only place not to have it? Uber should have been here a long time ago. It's everywhere else in the world except here. It's a good thing. It should, uh, should come. I don't know why it's taking so long. That pain for families is still there. In the meantime, Marquita will continue her advocacy to toughen laws against impaired drivers to help keep her daughter's memory alive. We're still losing over 1,200 to 1,500 people a year to impaired drivers. That's four to six people a day. That's far too many. Julia Foy, Global News. And late this afternoon, a statement from the Transportation Ministry. It says in part, the Passenger Transportation Board is independent and makes decisions independent of government. While we are disappointed that ride-hailing services are not yet operating, we respect the board's independence and process, which is meant to provide transparency to those impacted by board decisions. A memorial ride was held this morning to remember an avid Vancouver cyclist who died on Christmas Day. Friends of Ivan Young gathered at Olympic Village this morning to honor the 46-year-old husband and father before riding through Stanley Park to pay tribute. Young was cycling on Wednesday when he collided with a vehicle on Cypress Bowl Road and was killed. West Vancouver police are still investigating the cause of the crash. His friends remember him as being an experienced, safe cyclist who loved his family, especially his two children. He, he ultimately quit his job so he could spend more time with his family. And uh, uh, he, he certainly spent a lot of time riding too, but, uh, but I mean, really his family was at the, at the forefront. We're here to remember Ivan, who is a great guy, but it's important to think about bike safety. I mean, there's more and more bicycles in Vancouver. And we can all be safe if we do some really simple things. Drivers have to think about what they're doing on the road. Riders have to ride safe. People have to drive safe. A busy night for Burnaby RCMP catching several excessive speeders near a residential area. A traffic enforcement officer stopped three drivers in a row last night. One was doing 98, another 102, and a third 136 kilometers an hour in a 50K zone. The drivers were handed tickets for excessive speeding and their cars were impounded for a week. A second person has now died after an attack on, in Duncan on Christmas Eve. The assault happened in the area of Trunk Road and Canada Avenue late Tuesday night. An injured man and woman were both rushed to hospital. The man was pronounced dead soon after. Yesterday, the woman succumbed to her injuries in hospital. Police continue their investigation but say they believe it's an isolated incident and there is no risk to the public. A dozen people, including eight children, are temporarily homeless after fire tore through a West Kelowna townhouse complex. The fire broke out shortly after 9 o'clock last night at the building on Ingram Road. Eighteen firefighters battled the blaze, which started in a second-floor bedroom. The fire was contained to the unit. The ground floor and one neighboring suite sustained water and smoke damage. The fire department says neighbors' actions were instrumental in mitigating the impact. I looked outside and... Uh... The grandmother was there panicking and said, I need help getting the boys out of the house. I need help getting the boys out of the house. There's a fire. I ran over there and the boys were in the living room, so I 
grabbed them up one in each arm and went upstairs tried to extinguish the fire in the room to contain it best I could well the fire department was on their way black the bedroom was like a orange glow Emergency Social Services is helping the displaced children and their parents. The fire is believed to have been accidental, and fire officials are reminding people to be careful when using candles and matches. A former Kelowna social worker is facing new and shocking allegations. The accusations stem from a civil lawsuit recently filed against the Ministry of Children and Families and several other parties. As Jules Knox explains, it details a traumatic childhood for a young girl who says she was exposed to repeated abuse in the system. Robert Riley Saunders is a former Kelowna social worker who's accused of opening joint bank accounts with children in his care and then stealing the money. Another alleged victim is now stepping forward, detailing a horrendous childhood in court documents. According to a recently filed civil lawsuit, the plaintiff was taken from her mother when she was just three years old and put in a home with abusive foster parents. When she was finally taken away, the civil suit says the girl then spent the next 12 years with her biological father, who would punch her and pinned her to the floor. Court documents claim that the ministry knew about the abuse but failed to remove the girl from her father's custody for at least two years and then also failed to find the girl new foster parents for 10 months, leaving her homeless. When she was given a new home, the girl allegedly reported problems to the province but was ignored. She ran away and gave birth to a child who was taken away from her. The lawsuit says her baby was put in the care of the foster parents she fled and was only removed from there after the foster father overdosed on injection opioids in a child's bedroom. Saunders was the girl's social worker. Five months later, court documents say he opened a joint checking account with her, depositing checks for her food, clothing and shelter. He then allegedly transferred the funds into his account using them to pay for his family trips and mortgage. The lawsuit says that when Saunders finally closed the account in January 2018, he took the cash for himself. The girl had a second child, but Saunders took the baby away, allegedly because she was homeless and lacked the resources to care for her child. The plaintiff's lawyer told Global News, quote, that it's hard to imagine a system more ruthless than to make a child homeless, and then, when she becomes pregnant, takes away her own children on the basis that she lacks the resources to take care of them. The frequency at which atrocities like this occur raises the question of whether the province has lost the moral authority to apprehend any children at all. The Ministry of Children and Family Development did not respond to our request for comment and Saunders could not be reached. None of the allegations have been proven in court. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. A proposed class action lawsuit has been filed in Ontario against Life Labs over a data breach that allowed hackers to access clients' personal information. It accuses the medical services company of negligence, breach of contract, and violating privacy laws. The five plaintiffs allege Life Labs failed to detect and respond swiftly to threats and risks to the personal information and health records of the class members. 
The company says the data hack affected up to 15 million customers, most of them in B.C. and Ontario. A Vancouver woman is warning others about aggressive coyotes at the UBC golf course after she was chased by one yesterday. It was terrifying. You know in the in the movies when something bad is about to happen and then the drums start rolling and you know, oh my God, get out of there. That's what it felt like. Karen Rigo says she and her neighbors have coexisted peacefully with the animals for years. But Saturday, while walking her dog at the golf course, Rigo says she was chased by a coyote, her second encounter with an aggressive coyote in recent weeks. From that first encounter when I tried to make myself big and loud, and that only provoked the, the, the coyote that time. And I figured if I make myself big and loud again and it provokes this bigger coyote, we're really in trouble. So I made a snap decision. I leashed up my dog and we ran. And we were running and the, and the coyote took off after us and he was bounding toward us. Yikes. Rigo got away unhurt. She hopes her story serves as a warning to other dog owners and parents of small children who walk at the UBC golf course when the course is closed during the winter months. The B.C. Conservation Service says charges are pending after a contraband meat bust in the North Okanagan. Conservation officers seized six bags containing two cut and wrapped moose carcasses on Saturday. As a result of the investigation, charges against two people will be recommended. The meat will likely be donated to a food bank, a community shelter or local First Nation. Skiers who pay close to $200 for a lift ticket probably expect all of the lifts will be working. But that hasn't been the case this past week at Whistler Blackcomb. The resort's newest lift, the Blackcomb Gondola, was down part of last Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. The spokesperson for the parent company Vale Resorts blames a technical issue, which they say have now, has now been rectified. They claim the problem is not related to numerous delays that plagued the lift last year when it was brand new. Skiers we spoke to hope this latest fix holds. And, you know, the amount of money that people have spent on tickets and the amount of money that they have spent on the gondola, it should be far more reliable than, than what it is at the moment. At the moment, it's not such a big deal, but when they get the crowd, it's going to be a monster problem. Yesterday on the lift, we experienced a lot of shutdowns. Uh, it was quite frustrating. Some of them were quite lengthy. Uh, we rode a number of gondolas and chairlifts, and they all seemed to shut down periodically far more than they had in the past. We've been up here for the last 10 years, and it's the worst I've seen it. Here's an old piece of machinery that is reliable. It was on this date back in 1959. The Coho Ferry first set sail between Port Angeles, Washington and Victoria's Inner Harbor. The route it still serves today. This year, the ferry carried its 26 millionth passenger and 7 millionth vehicle across the strait. Sailing cancellations are very rare. The Coho is said to boast a 99.99% reliability rate. Good for them. It is so cold in Mongolia right now. How cold? We'll show you the boiling water test and more coming up a little later on the news hour. Well, for residents of an East Vancouver rental building, this Christmas has been memorable for all the wrong reasons. Some of them have been without heat or hot water for the last seven days. And as Paul Johnson reports, they have no idea when the problems will be fixed. For Ron Seed, the idea of home for the holidays is a big letdown this year. I felt the heat that was, just wasn't on at all, uh, and then I went to go shower and the water was freezing cold. That was December 22nd. 
So for the past week, including Christmas Day, residents of 807 East 6th have had no heat, no hot water, and according to some of them, no information from the owners. And then we called and we asked, can we get a plug-in heater? No answer. I'll call you back. Never got a call back. Maria Verdicchio says one of the elevators in the building has been broken for months. And she and her partner had to pay out of their own pockets to replace rotten wood on their deck when they say the owners wouldn't. But as renters who've always paid on time, she says cold Christmas is the last straw. I don't want to hear an excuse that the building's old. If it's old, sell it. Get rid of it if you don't want to fix it and maintain it. Verdicchio says the owners are Vancouver-based Zen Properties. Founded by longtime Vancouver landlord Giovanni Zen and managed by his son Roger, they didn't return a call we made to their office today. But their website touts their long history in B.C. and says Giovanni Zen takes pride in having provided thousands of people with a place to live. While the woman who says she's the on-site manager told Global News Sunday that work to fix a broken boiler will start Monday, residents of the Vancouver View Terrace say they'll believe that when the heat actually comes on as promised. I bet you they're all warm and toasty in their place with warm showers and, and everything. Paul Johnson, Global News. New shipping rules in 2020 are expected to impact Canada's oil sands. The Canadian press is reporting tighter pollution rules by the International Maritime Organization, or IMO. They're set to take effect January 1st. The new guidelines will limit the sulfur content of bunker fuel on ships. Change is expected to impact prices for heavy oil containing high levels of sulfur, such as raw bitumen from the Alberta oil sands. Auto Trader is releasing its annual list of Canada's top search vehicles in 2019. In BC, the Ford F-150 pickup wins top spot with the Honda Civic and Honda CRV in second and third place. Electric vehicle searches were up more than 50% over the last year. Almost half of those searches were for hybrid vehicles like the Toyota Prius. The Chevy Bolt was the most searched vehicle, electric vehicle, and the plug-in hybrid, the BMW i8, came out on top. It's a relaxing time for many teens this holiday break, but not for nearly 100 young people from across the province. They've taken over the legislature in Victoria for the 91st annual Youth Parliament. And as Richard Zussman reports, if they're any indication, the future of public service in BC is looking bright. In a place normally silent during the Christmas break, the BC legislature is being blown to life this weekend. Out are the 87 MLAs, replaced with 97 youth, ranging from 16 years old up to 21. We have some people from the interior up far north in BC. We've got lots of people from the island, the lower mainland, um, some people from the Kootenays. BC Youth Parliament has roots back to 1924, and this is no mock parliament. Everything these engaged youth do is for real, mainly the charitable work for Camp Phoenix. So Camp Phoenix is a summer camp uh, run for youth between the ages of 8 and 12 who normally couldn't attend a summer camp for financial or social reasons. Um, and the point is that we can help give youth a chance, uh, who might not normally have one, uh, a chance to be kids. 
The Premier is selected each year, Raniel Prasad earning the right to take John Horgan's seat in the chamber this time. By the end of the week, he will have wrapped up five years at Youth Parliament. I think it's absolutely important to get young British Columbians engaged in our system. Um, if young British Columbians don't see democracy in our institutions as a way to find change, they'll find something else to, to do instead. There are elected ministers, a leader of the official opposition and a speaker. The goal is to get young people engaged in community and in the political process. For some, this is their first political experience. For others, like Victoria Reed Friesen, the daughter of MLA Linda Reed, they have grown up in politics. I think it just creates a different aspect of it. Like I get to sit in the chair, I get to see what happens in these halls, and it creates just an overall picture that I understand better now that I've done it myself. The event becoming so popular, there's a wait list. Young people wanting to be involved need to explain the work they do in their community and how they can contribute. I think that um, by gathering here today and you know taking some time over our Christmas holiday break um, to do just that, it really speaks to how engaged um, youth can be. The youth legislative session wraps up on Monday. A hope their enthusiasm for community rubs off when the elected occupants of these seats return in February. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Five people were stabbed in an attack at a rabbi's home in New York last night during a Hanukkah celebration. The state's governor is calling it an act of domestic terrorism. This incident caps a week of anti-Semitic attacks throughout New York City, where police report at least six incidents targeting Jewish people. Terror on the seventh night of Hanukkah. Witnesses say the suspect, his face covered with a scarf, walked into a rabbi's home and began attacking victims with a large knife. Chaos erupted as dozens of people, including children and elderly, ran for their lives. Just swinging his sword, knife, I don't know what it was, back and forth, hitting people. The suspect, 37-year-old Grafton Thomas, was arrested in Harlem after Glock saw his license plate number. Do you feel any remorse? Do you feel bad at all? New York's governor visited the crime scene. Act of terrorism. I think these are domestic terrorists. They are trying to inflict fear. They're motivated by hate. New York's mayor condemning the attack. We cannot let that be the new normal. We will not let that be the new normal in this city. This incident, part of a wave of anti-Semitic attacks targeting Jewish people in New York City during Hanukkah week, including this one caught on video, where a group of men punched a 56-year-old Jewish man in the back of the head December 24th. Earlier this month, in nearby Jersey City, three civilians died in a kosher grocery store attack. At this point, we are in an epidemic uh, in New York City, of all places, for the Jewish community. And the community is in shock. There's a lot of fear and anxiety. New York police are now deploying more officers to Jewish houses of worship in various communities as they warn people to stay on high alert. Jennifer Johnson, NBC News, Washington. A synagogue and several shops in London have been vandalized with anti-Semitic graffiti. The Star of David and the numbers 9-11 were spray-painted on several properties. The numbers reference a terrible conspiracy theory that Jews were responsible for the 9-11 terror attacks. So far, no arrests have been made. There's been a deadly attack at a church near Fort Worth, Texas. Police say a man entered a church in the city of White Settlement and opened fire during the service. One person was killed and another was taken to hospital with critical injuries. The motive for the attack remains unclear. Police say the suspect was killed at the scene. The FBI is now investigating. Well, it happens every year. Well-meaning people surprise their loved ones with a new pet for Christmas. 
Sadly, the other thing that happens every year, many of those new pets are returned to animal shelters. But it doesn't have to be that way. You have to come back to the shelter. It's not necessarily fun for them. They kind of feel like they've done something wrong when usually it's just a situation at home. Many animal shelters see an increase of drop-offs and surrenders during the holidays. Sandy Fogarcy with Loving Heart Animal Shelter and Lisa Hughes of Almost Home Humane Society say pet returns are typically caused by holiday stress and lack of planning. People are stressed, people are overwhelmed, and they get to their breaking point in the holiday season. So they decide the first thing and probably the easiest thing they think to eliminate is to get rid of the pet so then they don't have that. That's one responsibility they don't have anymore. Unfortunately, we've had returns already um, from the ones that were adopted out prior to Christmas. They get the older dogs and then go home with their kids and realize they're a little too uh, powerful and rambunctious with the kids. While not all situations can be prevented, proper planning and introductions between family members and prospective pets can make adoption easier and last longer. Definitely do meet and greets, uh, bring the family in. The dogs can interact with them and see how they're doing. It may also be worth going through an intensive adoption process, like Loving Hearts. Sandy requires a home visit, vet checks, and references for all potential adopters. We really make sure that when I'm putting that dog in that house, it's the right fit for the dog. While the moment of your child getting a new pet for Christmas may be a sight to behold, giving that animal a forever home and family for life is much more important. Get through the holidays, get through the busyness. Adopting a dog or taking a dog in is a lifetime commitment. If you can't make that lifetime commitment, then you shouldn't do it. This stray found with a jar stuck on its head is on the mend. RCMP officers managed to cut the jar off the dog's head after a homeowner found it under their deck in Fort Alexander, a remote community in Manitoba. A dog rescue service says the dog had also been shot six times with a pellet gun. It's now recovering in a veterinary hospital. Well, Big Ben, the bell in London's landmark clock tower, will ring at midnight on New Year's Eve for the first time since a major restoration project. Over the last two years, the four clock dials have been reglazed, the ironwork repainted, and intricately carved stonework cleaned and repaired. In March, part of the scaffolding was removed, showing that the clock's once black numerals and hands have been, had been painted blue. Now, the bell will be tested several times in the run-up to New Year's. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. No matter what your beliefs, I have a feeling that you will at least appreciate the advice Pope Francis gave at his address today. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, to say it is cold in China's inner Mongolia right now would be an understatement. Have a look at this. The temperature in northern Mongolia has dropped to minus 50 degrees Celsius this week, plunging into deep freeze while also creating spectacular winter scenery. A local resident conducted an experiment by throwing a cup of boiling water into the air, only to find the water instantly turned into an ice cloud before hitting the ground. One northern city was shrouded in a sea of ice fog, which has become a regular sight these past few days as the temperature keeps hovering below minus 40. Since the outdoors have turned into a giant refrigerator, local business owners have followed the usual practice of freezing their fruits and seafoods 
directly in the open air. My goodness. Okay, that is cold. <laughs> that is so cold. That is frostbite. I know, I can't imagine. In, a, in, in seconds. Yeah. yeah, minus 50 Celsius. Yes, so here... Balmy and mild in comparison. Uh, we actually had a bit of a break in between systems today. We will be looking at some active weather that is pushing in late for tomorrow and then in towards New Year's Eve. And I'll have that forecast in just a moment. We are still seeing some cloud cover across the south coast. A few isolated showers popping up this evening, similar for tomorrow morning. A shot overlooking the bridge right now. We've got temperatures sitting at 7 with a northwesterly wind at 6 kilometers per hour. And we bumped up today. 8 is the high, slightly above the average that sits closer to 6 degrees. A few spots across Across the province, the island with Victoria and Tofino climbing up to nine. Much of the central interior just close to or hovering the freezing mark and along the coast for Prince Rupert for the northern half up to eight degrees. Now the next system, frontal system that is moving in across the province is first going to target the northern half. We'll see rain for the coast but inland will be snow and even the risk of freezing rain for tomorrow and then pushing its way towards the south. It'll be late, likely overnight in towards Tuesday we'll see, we'll see start to see some of the heaviest rain moving in and continuing to be quite unsettled for New Year's Eve before we start to see a nice break on our New Year's Day. Rainfall amounts potentially are 40 to 60 for a few spots, especially for the western edge of the island, pushing in towards Howe Sound, areas near Whistler. That's where we'll see a significant amount. And once again, it'll be Monday overnight into Tuesday that we'll start to see that rain moving in. We also have a snowfall warning for the interior. This is Monday late in the day, afternoon and evening. Highway 97 for the Pine Pass in Williston, 10 and up to 15 centimeters. All other mountain passes It'll be a range between two and up to four centimeters. So if you're traveling, it'll really be Monday evening and leading in towards Tuesday. For the piece, chilly overnight, wind chill at minus nine, gusty winds picking up to 60 kilometers per hour. Most areas near Whitehorse also seeing the winds ramping up southerly, gusts of up to 60, dry over the next two days, and then flurries popping up on Wednesday for New Year's Day. The northern half of the province, so the rain is going to pick up overnight, heavy at times, 40 and up to 50 millimeters, and the winds, 60 and up to 80 by the afternoon. They should diminish closer to 30 kilometers per hour, and then a chance of showers for Tuesday and a few flurries on Wednesday. Caribou and Central Interior flurries for tomorrow. Windy conditions. Tuesday could be rain mixed with snow with temperatures just getting above the freezing mark. Columbia and Kootenai will see flurries. Light snow for tomorrow. It does start to pick up on Tuesday for New Year's Eve. And most areas near the tops in Okanagan dry for the day, just in between systems. And then by the evening, the snow does start to move in. That's we'll see along the mountain passes. And then a transition with many areas seeing rain mixed with snow on Tuesday for New Year's Eve. Whistler by the evening hours with the temperature close to or hovering the freezing mark. It'll be rain or snow and across the island. The heaviest rain for the south coast will move in as we approach the evening hours. Periods of rain on Tuesday. We've got a soggy looking forecast so far for New Year's Eve. So you'll have to need, you'll need the umbrella. And then on Wednesday for New Year's Day, hoping to see a few breaks, a chance of showers. Temperatures will be mild. We'll get up to 10 degrees in tonight's weather window. A fantastic shot that was taken today. Thank you, Lorna. And this is in Sheridan Lake. Colleen? Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm, my bad, my bad. The Pope is urging people to put their phones down at dinner and any other time. And he's asking them to reconnect with their families. Yeah, in his weekly sermon to thousands at St. Peter's Square in Rome, Francis said there's too much texting and not enough communicating. He pleaded with families to put down their devices so that parents and children can support each other more directly. Um, I think that message could be 
a little more universal and broad-based because I, I, we just checking the score. I, I brought a prop as well. I, I'm not. Yeah. That's good. You're using props. I think we. I didn't good. get the memo. I don't bring my phone all the time. Not it depends. All the time. Not all the time, but we do typically have it. I mean, it, for updates. It's a great tool, but yeah. yeah. Didn't take long for the phones to overtake us. Yeah. We've only yeah. had them for what less than a decade. The right? machines are in control. Yeah. Your turn to be in control. That's right. Why don't you just watch television? That's right. that's way better for you than <laughs> uh, playing with your phone. Yeah. Seahawks are on the field right now. A lot of people out at. Uh, in that century link down in Seattle, hoping that uh, Marshawn Lynch can turn black, uh, back the clock for the Seahawks, but uh, not going too well early on. So we'll have early highlights of that. Also checking with the Canucks and uh, all the NFL matchups. Most of them are set, so we'll go through those as well. Okay, looking forward to it. Thanks, Barry. Well, for those who are not working over the holidays, lots of football to take in. It is a good day to uh, rest up for New Year's Eve by just watching football all day. It is a fun thing to do. Thanks, Colleen. Uh, just one game left in the NFL regular season. It's going on right now at CenturyLink Field in Seattle. And everything is on the line for the 49ers and Seahawks. The winner tonight wins the division and a home playoff date. The loser will have to go on the road next week as a wildcard team. It is a blast from the past. Marshawn Lynch and Robert Turbin. They're running backs during the Super Bowl years. And uh, they're back there because, of course, the Seahawks have had injury problems at running back to Chris Carson and C.J. Procise. They need a big step up from their defense, and Trey Flowers does the job here, sacking Jimmy Garoppolo. Second sack of the uh, day, but it was a field goal for the 49ers. Lynch got his first handoff. The crowd loved it. It was for five yards, but the offense has struggled, and they had to punt again. Meanwhile, the 49ers rolling offensively. Debo Samuel will take it. The rookie receiver runs the ball once in a while. That's a 30-yard touchdown, 10-0, 49ers. They really dominated the ball. And Russell Wilson with injuries on the offensive line as well. Not going well right now for Seattle. They'll need a big second half, 13-0, 49ers late first half. Saints and Panthers, New Orleans looking to get a top-two seed in the NFC in a first-round bye. Saints absolutely steamroll the Carolina team that had lost seven straight. Shoot, I guess I wanted to go Eagles-Giants. Okay, we'll do this one uh, first. Maybe we can go back to the Eagles-Giants. Uh, touchdown for Alvin Kamara, 7-0 Saints. Drew Brees threw for three touchdowns, including this 21-yarder to Jared Cook. Saints roll 42-10 over the Panthers, finish at 13-3, but they need a 49ers or Packers loss to get that first round by. Okay, let's go back to the Eagles-Giants because there's one more playoff spot left in the NFC. Philadelphia could take it with the win over the Giants. Second quarter, Carson Wentz, 24 yards to Josh Perkins. And the Eagles led 10-3 at the half, but the Giants did not go quietly. Saquon Barkley, very explosive runner, and he gets a hole and goes 68 yards for the touchdown, tying this one up 17-17. Go to the fourth now. The Eagles up by three, and they will extend the lead thanks to the defense as they force the fumble and recover deep in Giants territory. They marked that one at the two-yard line. It led to a touchdown by the Eagles, and then Boston Scott will take the short pass. Check out the spin move right there. Look at that. Gets uh, style points. He would go in for another touchdown, 34-17, 
the final as the Eagles win. They are going to the playoffs, likely the final game for Eli Manning, retiring after 16 NFL seasons, all with the Giants. All right, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers looking to get a first-round bye in the NFC on the road in Detroit. Green Bay trailed 17-3 at the half, but... Aaron Rodgers leads them back. Five minutes left. Rodgers zips a 28-yard touchdown pass to Alan Lazard. Tied it up at 20. And then on the final play of the game, Mason Crosby from 33 yards out for the win. It is good. And the Packers clinch a first-round bye. They can get the top seed if the 49ers lose to the Seahawks. One spot left in the AFC. Tennessee Titans just had to beat Houston to grab that last spot. Ryan Tannehill has really turned the Titans' uh, fortunes around since he became their starter. One-yard TD pass here to Michael Pruitt to make it 14-7, and then Derrick Henry will take it in for the short touchdown run, 21-7, and then Henry really exploded in the second half. This 53-yard touchdown romp not only seals the game, but he ran for 211 yards on the day, and that got him the league rushing title for the season at 1,540 yards, 35-14 the final, and the Titans are going to the playoffs. Patriots and Dolphins, New England needing a win to clinch a first-round bye, which they've pretty much done every year for the past decade. Tight game, though, in the fourth, under four to go. Tom Brady to James White takes it in. The Patriots have the lead 24-20, but the Dolphins... Well, they're going to play spoiler. Ryan Fitzpatrick to Mike Gesicki for the touchdown with just 24 seconds to go. And the Dolphins shock the Patriots 27-24 in Foxborough. So that Patriot loss opened the door for the Chiefs. KC gets a first-round bye if they can beat the L.A. Chargers. Third quarter, this is going to help. Chargers uh, kicking off after scoring the go-ahead touchdown. But the lead did not, uh, not last long. Instant offense from McCole Hardman. Takes it 104 yards for the touchdown. That is some kind of response from the Chiefs. They're an explosive team. They're back in front, 17-14. And they weren't done yet with the big plays. Next possession, Damian Williams takes the handoff. Looks like he stopped here, but he breaks the tackle. And then it's just wide open. An 84-yard touchdown. An explosive third quarter for the Chiefs, who win at 31-21. And in the process, clinch the second seed in the AFC with a 12 and 4 record. So this is the way it will match up on Wild Card Weekend. Tennessee at New England, the Patriots not used to playing on the opening weekend of the playoffs, but they will host the Titans and in the other matchup Buffalo at Houston, the Ravens and Patriots get the first round by. NFC matchups won't be known until tonight after the Seahawks game. The Canucks are right back at it tonight in Calgary after Jacob Markstrom made 49 saves in a 3-2 win last night over the Kings. The game has just begun and Tyler Myers has scored two quick goals. So the Canucks are up 2-0 early. Thatcher Demko is getting the start for the Canucks who begin the night in a playoff spot thanks to a four-game win streak. We'll have highlights of the game in Calgary tonight at 11. Earlier, Jets and Blues from St. Louis. Second period, 1-0 Blues, but the Jets force the turnover and it's Nick Shore who rips the one-timer past Jordan Binnington. That is released in a hurry. Ties at 1-1, but late in the period, Blues using the stretch pass. A 130-footer starts a break for the Blues, finished off by uh, Jaden Schwartz. That is a pretty goal. 2-1 Blues after two. And then in the third, on the power play, Robert Thomas converts the rebound and the Stanley Cup champs beat the Jets 4-1. Blues lead the Western Conference with 58 points. Canucks can now jump past the Jets in the wild card with a win tonight. 
And a bit of good news from the World Juniors for Team Canada involving forward Alexi Lafreniere. MRI done on his knee reveals no damage to his joint, no structural damage to the ligaments. It did not look good when he went down against the Russians in that 6 nothing loss yesterday, but he was at practice today, not on the ice. No crutches, no limp. Hockey Canada says he won't play against Germany tomorrow, but they won't rule him out for the rest of the tournament. They could sure use that young man's skill. Meanwhile, today at the World Juniors, USA and Russia, both teams 1-1 one one so far in the tournament. Second period, no score until the U.S. on the power play. Arthur Kaliev, the trigger man, got the one-timer away with lightning quickness there, one nothing. And then on the ensuing faceoff, they score again. Nicholas Robertson bounces one past a stunned Russian goalie. Those goals come six seconds apart, 2 nothing. USA after two helps to get the bounce. Early third, it's Kaleev again. Long wrister that will squirt through, and the Americans win 3-1. They go to 2-1. Canada plays Germany tomorrow at 6 a.m. So with that Russian loss, if Canada wins that one and Tuesday against the Czechs, they would win their pool. NBA, or let's check out some uh, lacrosse here. San Diego and uh, Vancouver. Jordan McBride with the little wraparound goal right there, giving... Uh, Vancouver a 1-0 lead, or tying it up rather. Keegan, or then in the fourth, Mitch Jones scores. He had a big day, three goals, five assists, but this would require overtime. Jones trying to win it, but his shot ricochets off the boards and caroms right to Brody Merrill, who races in and scores the game winner. Tough loss for the Warriors, who fall 11-10 in overtime. All right, NBA now, Raptors and Oklahoma City Thunder. Lots of Canadian content in this one. Four of them in the game, two on each team. For the Thunder, Toronto's Shea Gilgis Alexander. Sweet drive to the basket. Of course, he was involved in uh, the trade last year with the Clippers that, that got Kawhi over there. For the Raptors, Montreal's Chris Boucher, alley-oop jam from Fred Van Vliet, also from the Raps. Toronto boy O'Shea Brissett's been getting some time lately, and he throws down. So 47 all at the half. Fourth quarter, more rim rocking from Boucher. Another alley oop. He is a dynamic young player, and a lot of these guys are going to play for Canada's uh, national team in Victoria in the summer, trying to qualify for the Olympics. But it's Gilgis Alexander who stole the show. This was the game-winning basket. He led the way with 32, and the Thunder edged the Raptors 98-97. And we got some soccer to finish. EPL, first place Liverpool, taking on Wolves, who are a surprising seventh. Liverpool's played a lot of soccer of late. They weren't dominant today, but they took care of business. Sadio Mane with the only goal of the match. They're now 18 wins and one draw through 19. A 13-point lead on second place Leicester City, 14 up on Manchester City, and Liverpool has a game in hand. So... Yeah, might as well hand them the trophy now because they're not going to finish uh, <laughs> any worse than first. Right? Yeah. Love it. Thanks so much, Bear. Here's a look at your snowport. Whistler Blackcomb with one new centimeter and a base of 93. Grouse a base of 120. Sasquatch 155. Manning Park a base of 110. Fernie 130. And Kicking Horse 127. Big White with five new centimeters, a base of 153. Two new centimeters for Sun Peaks and a base of 119. Mount Washington, three new centimeters, a base of 62. 11 new centimeters for Powder King and a base of 207. <laughs> oh my goodness. A Moscow Zoo now has an adorable new artist, or two actually. Have a look.
This panda picked up a brush and got creative. He made an abstract painting in green and yellow. The zoo says its two pandas have been taking painting classes twice a week, and boy, does it ever show. The pair of pandas was given to Moscow by China's President Xi Jinping as part of a <clears throat> research project. Okay. And your point about researching they pandas? They could go to uh, China. And research. a research reserve there, so people in Russia could go over. That would be a great a idea. Very famous they found one. out if they yeah, feed famous. the pandas carrots, they paint. Yeah. That's what I've discovered. Two days of art classes, what Two you days. need. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. Jordan will be here at 11. <laughs>